Welcome to Good Sex at NYU, a podcast about sex, relationships, health, and mental health in a sex-positive space. So if you're looking for sometimes serious, sometimes funny, and always sex-positive discussions, then you're in the right place. I'm Danielle Elliman, Associate Director of Sexual and Relationship Respect Services at Counseling and Wellness Services. I use she, her pronouns. And I am April Fellers, a nurse and sexual health educator at the Student Health Center. I also use she, her pronouns. We are two white, cisgender, heterosexual, female-identifying clinicians, one with a medical background and the other with mental health experience, who seek to create a space that is inclusive of all identities, backgrounds, and perspectives. Activation warning. The contents of this podcast is about sex and relationships. The topics might be uncomfortable and awkward. But we hope that listeners will sit with their discomfort and consider new ideas and not judge others for their identities, their likes, and desires. The intention is for the conversation to be positive, but at times we may talk about harms, boundaries that were violated, and trauma that has occurred, which can be difficult for some listeners. Take care of yourself. Listen to your body, and if need be, turn off the podcasts. Consider what your body and your mind needs to move through the reaction to difficult content. This could mean turning on a TV show, listening to music, calling a friend, going for a walk, or reaching out to Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999 or Safe Horizons at 1-800-621-4673. Welcome back to Good Sex at NYU and to part two of our interview with Dr. Jana Vrangelova, a psychology professor, sex researcher, speaker, writer, and consultant. If you haven't heard the first part, then we encourage you to go back and listen as we covered how Dr. Jana got started in the field of sex research and also what she has found in her work around relationship orientation. In this episode, you'll hear more from Dr. Jana about her personal journey and her professional research. I'm curious. I know we've heard you talk a little bit about your own experience, which I think is really helpful. But is that like the main reason that sort of pushed you into doing this kind of work professionally? Because I feel like, you know, you've done a lot of really great research so I'm wondering, like, is it mostly from, you know, your own perspective or did you have some really great, like, you know, professors or influences that like sort of put you down this route to, to do research in this area? Yeah, as I mentioned, there was not much uh, <laughs> in the way of role models or education in as I was growing up in Macedonia through college because uh, I right, did my college there it was pretty much driven by my own personal experiences. I mean, sexuality and especially this non-traditional sexuality that did not fit into that tiny little box of acceptability was such a big component of my own life from an early age and something that I was really thinking about and experiencing and dealing with some of these, <laughs> some of the consequences of doing these things the wrong way, because as I said, it was all trial and error. I didn't know anything about boundary setting and pleasure um, for myself or for my partners. I didn't know anything about sexual health uh, or any you know, management of stigma and all of these things that are important for uh, healthy non-monogamy. I don't have any of that. And so mm -hmm. I, uh, I was noticing how other people around me were navigating both well and not well. And I was definitely driven by that when time came to choose my, my PhD topic and figure out where I was going to apply, who I wanted to work with. It was pretty clear in my mind by then 
with all of my sexual uh, relational history up until that point that I was going to study sexuality and especially these non-traditional forms of sexuality. And I knew that I wanted to understand because there's a lot of different angles, right, to study this um, issue. And I knew that my angle was primarily how does this relate to mental health and well-being? Hmm. How do we, how do we, you know, people like myself who are somewhere on the higher end of that spectrum, how do we get to live our lives in ways that feel at least somewhat authentic and mm -hmm. fulfilling of our desires, but without compromising our physical well-being, our mental well-being, our social connectedness and well-being? And, and also, how do we do it in an ethical way so that we mm -hmm. don't harm our partners? Because, you know, with my experiences of cheating on, on my partners, that was not fun. You know, mm -hmm. I was hurting people who I loved. And I didn't want to do that either. And just like I was getting hurt by some of, you know, those other people um, in my other experiences. And yeah, it was this very personal, uh, strong desire that I saw not many other people trying to fill. Like that niche seemed mm -hmm. kind of nobody was talking about. Even when I got to Cornell and I was initially going to study sexual orientation, non-heterosexuality, because that was kind of one of my big drivers of that outside the box life. And I got there and started to read about the these other topics like casual sex, non-monogamy, so some of these other elements of non-traditional sexual expressions, and realized there was more positivity in studying non-heterosexuality by then. You know, by the time mm -hmm. I was at Cornell, we had already established that, you know, it's okay to be gay, you know, it's not, it's 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 not a mental disorder, it's not a, I don't know, developmental uh, whatever problem. At least in the U.S., where, where I went to school, they did still teach us that being mm -hmm. gay was not uh, okay. And I had a big, big fight with one of my professors over mm -hmm. that. But at least in the U.S., that was sort of established. But then I realized all these other things like kink and casual sex and non-monogamy, those were still pretty stigmatized even within the scientific community. Mm -hmm. You know, there were these papers, some of the first set of sets of papers on things like casual sex were... Even the titles were like the casualties of casual sex. Wow. You're like, okay, I clearly know what your angle is here. <laughs> and I don't know. I know what, what you your think. hypothesis is there. Yeah. 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 And so, um, yeah, as soon as I kind of started doing all that reading, I was like, wait, wait, wait a second. Like, I understand, and I certainly understand on my own skin, as well as seeing a lot of my friends and lovers experiencing some of these things. I know that these these ways of expressing your sexuality can go wrong and can end up hurting yourself and other people. I've seen it. I felt it. But that's not the full story. There are also ways that you can do these things in a way that do bring you pleasure and, and other people pleasure and, and excitement and, and good things. And so I really wanted to figure out, okay, what makes the distinction between doing these things well and doing these things poorly? Mm -hmm. And then how do we harness all that knowledge that we are now accumulating with my research and then some other people mm -hmm. started to do that kind of more more um, nuanced research to get to the point of like okay here are the rules <laughs> you know you want to engage in these kinds of uh, experiences you want to play with fire a little bit here's how to do it here mm -hmm. are the safety protocols so that you can play with fire well it doesn't mean you don't, you can't play with fire means that you have to know how to I mean, play like with fire safely. The fire department, they play with fire. Exactly. And they got yeah. rules. Exactly. That's a risk they take. Yeah. Sometimes you get burned. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, 
But that's like with anything that is a, a higher risk experience. You know, I like to rock climb and rock climbing is dangerous to mm -hmm. some extent. And there are different levels of how dangerous it is. If you, uh, you know, if you go to the gym and rock climb at the gym, there is certainly a higher chance of hurting yourself than if you don't ever go climbing. Mm -hmm. But it's a much lower uh, risk than if you go climbing outdoors. And there are different levels of outdoors climbing as well. If you, if you go sport climbing, where a lot of the gear is already put in, that's much easier yeah. than if you have to put your gear yourself or if you go to a big mountain out in the wilderness. <laughs> yeah, like that's a whole other. And so for each of those different levels, nobody says don't do them. Right. But have the training, mm -hmm. have the skills, and have the tools to mitigate the risk mm -hmm. as much as possible. I actually have a question for April. Sure. We heard where Danielle is. Where are you on this grid? And I actually don't know. I, 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 need, I think I probably would need a little bit I've more. Taken, I've taken courses, so. Mm, yeah. Okay. yeah. I have more info. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I am in a monogamous relationship. I am married, and I, I do think that that is... Good for me. I think stability, 100%. Definitely very, very high on the mm -hmm. stability. Um, I think that I I grew up very, like, in, in a religious... No, I wouldn't say very religious. My parents, like, my mom took us to church, but, but it wasn't, like, a very, very, very religious at home or anything. It was just all of the information I got at church and right. in the community that kind of influenced me. And there was a lot of guilt and shame around sex growing up and, and the exploration of my body and, and pleasure and those kinds of things. And it just was never talked about. And so I think that my, my exploration is probably pretty low <laughs> at this point, but you know, cause it's just been a long time of, of kind of like breaking those norms and, and everything that I had been taught for so long and like being able to experience sex as pleasurable and not feel bad and, and want it and those kinds of things. It's, it's right. really, I, I think that still Even kind with of one partner. Right. Yeah. Right. And so I think still just kind of like breaking mm -hmm. those kinds of things away, like that exploration is still still on the lower side. But, you know, I, I think both my partner and I feel that, you know, we that monogamy is is right for us. And that's that's kind of where where we're both at right now. I, I think that will probably say the same. But, you know, I don't know. Like we, we don't know. we you never know. So. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of where I would assume kind of based on your description of the. But it's the, the grid. The grid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I also really like um, the the grid and how it like also includes things that are not just those three. Like you were talking about, oh, we have the major three. But like, I think people often do forget that like singlehood can be a welcomed option, right? Yes. Like the negative mm -hmm. norm. Because I'm someone who's single. I've been single lots of my life. <laughs> um, and I think everyone's like, oh, right. You're single. Poor thing. Poor thing. Mm -hmm. You just can't get that monogamous relationship, can you? <laughs> How sad for you. You know, and I'm like, I, I believed that for a while. You know, mm -hmm. like when I was younger, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, gosh, what's wrong with me? Why am I not, you know, able to like, you know, have this long term like marriage with someone? And I'm like, you know what? Like, I like being single. Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of really amazing things about being single. And I think the social norm around like we in order to be happy we have to be in a monogamous relationship mm -hmm. and we need to have kids right. you know like or even in a relationship even yeah. in a non-monogamous mm -hmm. relationship Absolutely. there is a lot of stigma around singledom mm -hmm. yeah and yeah i agree it's such a valid relationship type to have and i and i actually would argue that the vast majority of people if not everybody would benefit from being intentionally mm -hmm. being single for yeah. a period of mm -hmm. time and i also think there are specific 
times in our developmental sort of tra trajectory when the best idea for a person, even if they are generally you know, high on that romantic stability and they do want a partner, monogamous or, or non-monogamous, there are times when the best option is to be single or even celibate for a period of time. Like right after we come out of a long-term relationship, mm -hmm. it's usually a good idea to be mm -hmm. single for a little bit figure out process what happened in that breakup mm -hmm. or in that relationship and how did the breakup happen what did you contribute what did your partner contribute those whatever those patterns are that you contributed to that relationship not you know working out long term they're still there they're probably going to show up in your next relationship if you don't do the work of uncovering them working on them and uh and transforming them into something else mm -hmm. uh, certainly if you know, periods when we might be healing from some sort of trauma mm -hmm. after a you know, big trauma has happened and we don't already have a partner, you know, that might not be the best time to be looking for a partner. Maybe let's spend some time mm -hmm. healing from it. Periods when we're really busy, when we're really focused mm -hmm. on something else, on work. Like right now, I'm very intentionally single. I do not want a relationship. I want some casual but consistent lovers mm -hmm. to meet some of my sexual needs. But I have no time and energy and bandwidth to devote to a serious uh, relationship. Uh, writing a book, preparing a new course um, is going to launch next year, sort of the next iteration of Open Smarter. I am you know, redoing my website and upgrading that and changing how I'm teaching my human sexuality classes. And that is taking up so much time. Right. Like, no, I don't want a relationship <laughs> right now. Or, you know, so there are, I really want to encourage people to consider all of these five types yeah. as potentially useful places to be at some point in their lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, because I also have students sometimes and I'm kind of chuckling because I had a student like right when I first got to NYU about three years ago, oh my God, I'm 19 and I've never been in a relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just like, oh okay, take a breath. <laughs> you have so much time. Right. Yeah. 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 And so I'm like, Really, part of the reason for this podcast is to break down some of those negative norms in our mm -hmm. culture that says that, like, these are the things that we need. It's like, okay, this is what culture says. Mm -hmm. What are you? What's what's in your body? What's 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 are you living? Mm -hmm. You know, what's right for you is going to be different from the person next to you. Yeah. And it's right. so hard to learn when you're so young. You know, you're like, right, right. Oh, I'm constantly comparing to like everybody else and you got social media that's telling you all of these things. And so I just wanted to be like, oh, <laughs> if you only knew. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, both the two unpartnered states of singlehood or singledom, I can never make up my mind which, which <laughs> word I like better, and celibacy they are a great place to get to know yourself. Because right. when you are with a partner, there is a level of overlap between you and the partner's level of compromise that you're going to have to make in terms of what you end up doing, how you end up spending your time, what kinds of parts of you can come out, you know, your relation, even, even your personality gets, you know, shifted in certain areas. And so I think it's so important for all of us to be in one or both of those states for some amount of time to figure out who we are mm -hmm. as individuals before we can go and find a partner who's going to be a good match for that individual that we are. Yeah. And when people kind of end up in relationships from an early age and then end up one after the other, after the other, after the other, never having been single for any significant amount of time, very often they don't really know who they are. Mm -hmm. And 
the matches that they find end up not being great matches because you just don't have all of the information that you need to have about what would make the right match for you. So highly, highly recommend. Be intentional, be smart about it, figure out how much, okay, if you're not going to have a partner, why are you not looking for mm -hmm. a partner? How long, you know, have some idea maybe of, okay, how mm -hmm. long do I want to do this intentionally? What do I want to accomplish during that time, personally or professionally or whatever, for whatever reason you're doing it? And then how am I going to do it exactly? How much sexuality am I going to, if I'm not going to have romance, okay, but then how much sex am I going to have? How often? How many different people? Do I want to have a bunch of one night stands and uh, crazy orgies and sex parties and whatnot? Or do I want to find one or two friends with benefits that I can sort of have, you know, more mm -hmm. uh, ongoing and consistent sex, but can I keep it casual? Do I want to do that? couple of times a week? Do I want to do it, uh, you know, a couple of times a month? Can I have mm -hmm. a general idea of how much do you want that to be part of your life? Or do you want to just be completely celibate for, mm -hmm. for a while and uh, see what that's like? Yeah. Um, I did a, a dating fest. My, yeah? it was my senior year of college. I had gotten out of a two plus year relationship and, and my friend and I, we, we kind of just did it together. We're like, we're not going to date anybody. We're going to just focus on ourselves. And, you know, it was the end of college. And so I was, I, you know, and, and one intentional year turned into three unintentional years, which is, is an interesting idea too, of like, I think going in with intentionality is one thing, but then getting to a point of like, oh, but I do want a relationship is that's hard too of, of like, there are those differences, right? There are people that are intentionally single and then people who are looking right. and that emotion is different. But I think right. that what you're saying of getting to know yourself is both the, both as a human being in general of what do you like? What are your hobbies? What, right. what do you like to do? Those kinds of things. And then also sexually, because right. as, as right. people grow and change, as bodies change, you have different parts of your body that are pleasurable and those kind of things. And I think that that's a good time too to kind of explore. Maybe there's a new part of your body that's that's pleasurable, and then you can know that when when you go into your next relationship or next Absolutely. sexual encounter, those kind of things. So. Absolutely, that is never talked about enough. I think that some of these more casual or short term experiences that we can have when we're single, uh, they really open doors for what is our sexuality because mm -hmm. everyone has their different kind of preferences and interests and routines and you know most most of the time almost like the vast majority of times you're going to have a limited set of sexual experiences that you can have with any one given partner mm. right where you have that overlap and um yeah having the opportunity to explore different bodies different rhythms different styles different domination submission preferences, different kink, uh, you know, interests, like all of that is just so, so incredibly valuable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings us to like, a, I think a really good question around pleasure, because I think oftentimes we think so much and I mean, we as the, the general mm -hmm. we in culture that like sex is one thing, right? But I don't think we often associate it with pleasure. Like, yes, it's pleasurable, but like what else can be pleasurable, right? And so I'm wondering like what your evolution of pleasure has been. Um, and, and how that sort of has shifted and changed maybe over time, because I think like sex can be pleasurable, but like other things are too. And we don't often like include that. We just focus, you know, on that physical component of, of like sex. what? Well, I mean, I think like I get a lot of pleasure from taking my alone time, you know, mm. like uh, I, I to take alone time and to like go for a walk, you know, but also like reading a book. 
Um, you know, sometimes I read erotica that's mm-hmm. like really, you know, gets me going when I, maybe I don't have a partner. Right. And so that to me is really pleasurable. Mm-hmm. That can make up for maybe that physical, you know, intimacy that I'm lacking at one point or another. Right. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if there's like been an evolution for you and like what pleasure means to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've generally been a fairly pleasure oriented person, mm-hmm. uh, been driven right? that that novelty and, and exploration has often been because the reward of that is pleasure. Mm-hmm. And so definitely I've been a pleasure seeker in my life. And that has been through various forms of sexual experiences, uh, relational experiences, uh, adventure sports, um, snowboarding, surfing, uh, rock climbing. Uh, that's That's been a lot of pleasure. Partying has always been a big dancing. Like I love one of, and this is one of my earliest things as a, as a you know, teenager in, in middle school is when I started going to dance parties, electronic music dance parties, and just dancing on the dance floor to music that I resonate with, surrounded by other people who are all kind of feeling the, the music and connecting over that. There's a, there's a sense of communal you know, connectedness and belonging and um, ecstasy even without using substances to elevate that, that can be and has been for me just like absolutely life, soul nourishing mm-hmm. that I don't think I can live without. And even to this day, yeah. that's something that I, I, I do for myself on yeah, a, f- a few times a year that I have mm-hmm. these uh, either festivals, music festivals that I, where I go and, and dance or parties. And yeah, that. Has, and then also my concept of, of pleasure within sex has also, you know, changed the kinds mm-hmm. of sex that I've gone after, the kinds of positions that, uh, you know, I've found most pleasure, you know, the kinds of positions that I come in now are not the same mm-hmm. positions that I came when I was in my 20s mm-hmm. uh, or even 30s. And uh a lot of these explorations around kink happened much later in life that uh, I didn't even know things existed when I was in my 20s or, or teens and, and early 20s. And some of the like the group play scenario, I mean, like there's so many different components of sexuality that have given me pleasure. And mm-hmm. so I like pleasure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I know that we often have kind of a ambivalent relationship in our society with pleasure, especially certain types of pleasure, it's often kind of devalued in and in, in sacrificed or we're told that it should be sacrificed so that, you know, hard, I don't know, hard work or, you know, stability or something like that. But I think pleasure is really important. Mm-hmm. That's, that's greatly what makes life worth living. And so... Mm-hmm. I encourage people to go and find pleasure, whatever yeah. that that means to them. And then also things like yes, walks. I love walks, mm-hmm. books, uh, massages, yeah, lots of you know, good food, mm-hmm. um, all of that. Yeah. I'm with you on the food. I was thinking <laughs> a warm chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. but I think we just sometimes have such a narrow definition when we think of like pleasure. We're like, mm-hmm. oh, that must mean penetration, you know? And you're like, no, let's expand that. <laughs> There's yeah. so much more. Even like sensual touching, Mm -hmm. like sometimes like after sex, just that like someone rubbing like your arm or your back, 
like that can be so mm-hmm. pleasurable, right? Cuddling. Cuddling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like it's just to make sure that we're not limiting ourselves. Oh yeah, definitely. Broaden your idea of pleasure from penetration. I mean, that's such a reductive and mm-hmm. and uh, limited way of thinking about it that takes away from so much pleasure. Mm-hmm. There are so many other tools in the pleasure toolbox yeah. that is there are worth exploring. And uh, I definitely want to encourage people to do that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What has been the the most challenging aspect for you navigating non-traditional relationship types and, and how have you overcome or, or worked through those challenges? Good question. Um, I think the most challenging part for me has been not asserting my own needs too strongly especially in the second half of my sort of sexual and, and relational career. So right while in my teens, I started out not knowing anything and kind of just being at the mercy of all these other people that I ended up interacting with to some extent and kind of learning on the go. But what that created after kind of 10 years of having to just completely rely on myself to keep myself safe and to give to make sure I get pleasure, then I and, and you know I've always had relative and relatively assertive kind of uh, strong uh, personality. That all combined kind of created this this person that was very much like okay, I need to take care of my own needs. Other people, they, they might try to help, but I have to explain. I have to make sure that they know because they're not going to read me. They might not care about reading me. So I kind of have to make sure that I mm-hmm. communicate my needs and and advocate for my needs. And um, I expected other people to do the same because, again, we project very mm-hmm. often, right? Mm-hmm. What we feel, what we know, what we do or don't do, we often project on other people that they're going to do the same. And so uh, that has definitely been the kind of the learning process for me over the last kind of five to 10 years of kind of softening up my approach and also encouraging, kind of realizing that a lot of other people are a lot less assertive, Mm -hmm. especially when it comes to sexuality, because it's something that so few of us have even the language to to Mm -hmm. express or to even know the internal language to know what they want and don't want, and then having the actual verbal, you know, language to communicate that with people and not just the language, but having the confidence mm-hmm. to to do that and do it effectively. A lot of people are in a very different place than I am. And so I, a big a, a lesson for me was learning to encourage kind of other people to share what their yeses and nos are as opposed to kind of expecting that they're just going to give me their yeses mm-hmm. and nos mm-hmm. and um still work in progress <laughs> yeah yeah that's interesting because mm-hmm. so much of what we've been talking about and so much of what you shared with with navigating non-monogamy is communication and so that's very interesting that if there are people that are in that community interested in non-monogamy but really all are still inexperienced in that communication piece, that's, that is challenging, especially for someone like if you're saying like, well, I did my work. Mm. <laughs> and so 
where are all the other people that did their work and why am I not finding well, them? It's just different kind of work, right? Depending on um, there these two sides of the coin of communication. One is expressing your own needs and boundaries. And then the other piece of the coin is listening, mm-hmm. hearing, encouraging others to share their needs and boundaries. And we kind of have to know both. And so depending on what our personal kind of history was earlier in life in our families and then these earlier experiences with sexual and relational partners, we may be stronger in one but weaker in the other uh, skill. And so that was certainly, you know, my experience that mm-hmm. the, the first set of skills that I had to learn because really it was a matter of survival. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't learn how to advocate for my own needs and, and boundaries and my, my own pleasure, all of those experiences that I had were going to be either not particularly consensual or not particularly pleasurable. And that certainly didn't sound like a great mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, deal. And so I kind of absolutely had to learn that. I didn't, on the other hand, have to, at least during those um, early years, did not have to learn the other side, the more empathy, compassion kind of um, side of things. And so that's been mm-hmm. that's been the, the work, the second half. Yeah. yeah. I really think, though, that at times you have people who want to do some of the non-traditional or like non-monogamy or polyamory, and they go in thinking that they know or haven't had any, like haven't done this kind of thing before. And they're like, oh, well, I'll just go in. I'll, I'll figure it out. Right. And I've, I, this has happened to me at various different points. And you're like, I'm able to talk about it, but they're like, oh, well, let's don't talk about it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. well, that's, that's a flag for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if I'm not talking about a non-traditional, if I'm able to talk in a healthy way about sex and do it on day one without someone like, you know, I don't know, without feeling anxious or bothered by it I think that puts like a message on me too for some like they're like "Ooh, that's a little intimidating Mm. I don't know if I can talk to this person about it like they seem like they know a lot you know and so I think like there's you know a little bit of that that I don't know if you experience working in this field but I'm just like I I can talk about it (laughs) and other folks think they can until they beat me (laughs) (laughs) right and they're like I don't know I'm not quite prepared for this Mm -hmm. conversation and so I think like it's you know, getting the people who are not as educated and interested in doing like the the work and who think that they want to be in these kind of relationships. Um, I don't know if that's, you know, some of what you experience as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, given the societal milieu in which we're all embedded, where there is so little honest, open conversation about some of these topics, many of these people who have some of those desires and interests don't have the communication skills mm-hmm. and um, and language to actually talk about them. And I mean, meet people where they're at in mm-hmm. terms of how quickly and how deeply we'll go into certain topics. You know, we don't have to have all these conversations on date one. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if we're going to do some sort, I mean, if we're going to do any kind of relationship, we really should talk about these things. As we talked about, even within monogamy, there are a lot yeah. of things to discuss. But certainly if we're going to do some sort of non-monogamy, that cannot be done without talking. Right. Yeah. I'm sorry, right. but that just cannot be done without talking because there are so many things, as we talked earlier, to touch upon that we have to agree on. Mm-hmm. I have to know where you stand. You have to know where I stand in order for us to make this a healthy uh, dynamic. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we're just going to hurt each other and ourselves left and right. Yeah. And so that's that's just not good practice. 
if you're one of those people, go read some books, <laughs> yeah. go take some courses, go listen to some podcasts, yeah. develop some of the language, and then have the conversation. Yeah, and keep working on it. Like, and keep working um, on that's, it. It's an ongoing conversation, ongoing process. And I'll say even for hookups, like yeah. mm -hmm. I, I will talk to students around, you know, if you can't talk to someone about what you want in a hookup while you're at the bar or mm -hmm. at the party and they're not willing to talk to you and then that goes for like what kind of sex you're interested in mm -hmm. let's talk about our sexual health and what kind mm -hmm. of like you know ways we're going to protect our sexual health in this mm -hmm. hookup if you can't do that before if that's too awkward then maybe you want to shift and not you know have that be as your goal mm -hmm. because you're not quite ready for that yeah right so to be able to have that conversation even for hookups Absolutely. if they can't engage in that conversation before you go to the bedroom or the bathroom then mm -hmm. you know right. You, you need to like maybe choose someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. I think that that's one of the the biggest things that people see in movies, right? I think one night stands or, or hookups in movies or media of any kind, there's none of that. No communication. <laughs> they just there's eyes no lock. Talking. There's yeah. just eyes lock, and <laughs> the emotions are flowing. Everybody, you know, is the the detraction, and then and then they just have sex, and it's mm -hmm. like. And it's the best sex ever yes. somehow. <laughs> yeah. But like how to, yeah. No and, conversation about anything. And I think right. that goes back to what you're saying, that like the, the expectations, right? Like everybody, if you don't talk about it, you're, you're going to be thinking, oh, well, I like this kind of sex. So they must also like this kind of sex. And this is what I find pleasurable. And this is, so this is what, you know, and, and yeah. so, and, and then that, that probably leads to really awful sex if you don't <laughs> talk about it. So mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is why. Uh, a lot of my work has been on casual sex specifically, and so there are very clear guidelines for how to have healthy, you know, good casual sex. And you know, some of those things include knowing knowing what you're getting yourself into, and that sometimes requ requires a conversation. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, sometimes it is clear what this may or may not be, but very often it isn't. So some conversation around the expectations is important. Uh, pleasure is a really important piece of the puzzle. And so there's got to be some conversation about what kind of right sex we want or don't want. And it's also very, I mean, especially with hookups, it's very important to know yourself mm -hmm. and what mm -hmm. works for you and doesn't work for you. The ability to communicate your yeses and your nos is absolutely critical. I mean, it's critical in any relationship, but with casual partners, especially because they don't know you. Right. And you don't know them. And you don't know them. So you better know, you know, how far you want to go, what kinds of things get you off, what kind of positions, what kind of toys, like whatever it is that you need, you need to be aware of that. And then, yeah, the sexual health uh, conversation and, and also just don't get too wasted. I know mm -hmm. that's something that for a lot of people kind of goes hand in hand, but the single, by far, the single uh, most common factor why people walk away from their hookups feeling regret is being intoxicated like it's it, it, and it's so far up the list and everything else is just so much less common that uh it, it's pretty clear just don't get wasted mm -hmm. i understand if you need a little bit of liquid courage that's all right you know a yeah. drink or two or you know if some other substances is your jam a little bit fine but don't go overboard because mm -hmm. that's when you end up not getting pleasure. That's when you end up in non-consensual or mm -hmm. kind of gray zone kind of scenarios. That's when you make 
dumb choices about even who, you know, mm -hmm. to be with and how far to go with that person and what to do and what not to do. That's when condoms get forgotten mm -hmm. when they should have been used and so on. So, yeah. 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 Well, that brings us to um, our final question and a good, you know, sort of segue um, that you have there. What does good sex mean to you? Mm. What does good sex mean to me? Um, sex with someone where there is strong mutual attraction and whatever that means for people. But for me, the physical aspect is hugely important. And so there's got to be strong physical attraction. Ideally, there's some level of other forms of attraction as well. So there's some maybe kind of intellectual connection and some um, emotional maybe connection. When when you say emotional connection, you know, people think, okay, this has to be kind of a more longer term scenario, but you can have some level of emotional connection or intimacy even in mm -hmm. casual mm -hmm. contexts. And so I've definitely had very kind of passionate and intimate uh, one night stands that can be pretty good. But so I wanted to be passionate. Um, on both sides right like i want to devour you and i want to feel that from the other person as well i like affection so i like a lot of touching um that it's not just you know the the penetration or oh you go down on me i go down on you or whatever i like a lot of like physical touch i want to explore your body i want you to explore my body i love when there uh, is this kind of reciprocal give and take, right? Where it feels like we're we're doing things that I like to do and also you like to do. And mm -hmm. uh, obviously there's overlap. So when, and there are certain things like rhythms, yeah, sometimes there are people who like to have sex a lot faster or mm -hmm. a lot slower or something like that. And so it, I like when there's a good match um, there. What else makes it into good sex? Oh, my God. There's so many different components <laughs> of that. Uh, respect is a big piece before, during, and after. Mm -hmm. There have been so many scenarios, uh, especially you know early in life, where I felt like there was no sort of respect for my needs, my desires, um, certainly around how we navigate the the stigma around it mm -hmm. and the kind of the reputational damage that can come after, you know, treating each other well before, during, and after, uh, some level of aftercare, or at least mm -hmm. kind of awareness of the potential need for aftercare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I hooked up recently with someone who, before we did anything sexual, he literally asked me, you know, what kind of aftercare do you need? you know, after we hook up. And that was not something that I've been asked uh, very often, but I was like, oh, that's so thoughtful. You know, I, I don't actually need a lot of aftercare, you know, mm -hmm. especially in this particular scenario, but I'm so glad you asked. Yeah. You know, it's a great question to ask. Um, and so, yeah, that, that there, there, there must be some more. But... <laughs> that sounds great I mean, to me. <laughs> that sounds like some pretty good ones. <laughs> what else would you add um, for you? Yeah, I mean, I think that you have named so many good things. I, know, I, just, I'm like, I think the respect is a big one and the like the, the agency and everybody feeling like a part. I want to be able to laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think sometimes it can be a little awkward and I want to feel like, huh, that noise really just came out of my body. So let's just laugh about it. <laughs> right, right. You know, like so I want it to be like a space where like I can also laugh. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah, yeah. that's important because yeah, sometimes we take it 
so seriously. Oh yeah. It's like, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, sometimes our bodies make weird noises make weird and noises. weird things come out of, yeah. you know, orifices. And, mm -hmm. Exactly. I don't know. Yeah. And that's yeah. all okay. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us um, and our listeners? Lord, I shared so much. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, there's always more to share, but no, this has been uh, quite, quite uh, lovely. I, yeah. I really enjoyed uh, chatting with you. I mean, I, as a summary, and maybe we mentioned some of these things um, during our conversation, but I really want to encourage people to be intentional about their sex and, and relationships. I want them to think about the fact that our uh, relationships are one of the main contributors to our determinants, really, of our general health and happiness, mm -hmm. both short-term and long-term. And Esther Perel has a beautiful way of phrasing that, that the quality of our intimate relationships determines the quality of our lives. Mm -hmm. And it really is. Mm -hmm. Like, we have tons and tons of research evidence to suggest that that is the case. So all interpersonal relationships matter, but especially these close, intimate, both the romantic and the sexual ones have quite a bit of, of uh, weight in terms of how happy and healthy and successful and, you know, all of these good things we are in life. And here's the kicker, because of course, that's not the only factor that determines the quality of our lives. There are many other factors that also play a role, but of all of those major factors that affect the quality of our lives, our intimate sexual and romantic relationships are one of the few factors that we have a lot of control over. Mm. Many of these other things like the economy or wars, pandemics, uh, global mm -hmm. warming, you know, those kinds of things, we don't have that much control over and they're going to determine the quality of our lives. But this, there's a lot of control that we have. And so let's exercise that control that we have because mm. If we make smart decisions about our sex and love life, that reverberates throughout all other areas of life. And that also opens up a lot more time, energy, bandwidth to deal with many of the other aspects of our lives that we may have less control over that are also important. And so, um, yeah, make, make smart decisions <laughs> about your sex and love life wherever you are. Uh, in terms of how you want to live your sex and love life, there is a good way to do it and there's a bad way to do it. And so be intentional and be educated and um, develop and continue to develop those skills and uh, tools that you need in order to do that well. Yeah, that's good advice. Mm -hmm. I feel like I could just keep sitting here and chatting. <laughs> Same. Yeah. Can you share with, with everyone where they can find you and maybe the names of your classes, if that's easier for, for students to search and um, yeah. Sure. So I'm very easily Googleable. There's <laughs> nobody else with my name out there. Uh, I think on the planet actually, because <laughs> both my first name and, and last name are, are uh, fairly unusual. And so my website is drjana.com, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A.com. You can find me on Instagram. I do a lot of content, as Danielle knows, at uh, same Dr. Jana, so D-R-Z-H-A-N-A. And I teach from 
next semester on human sexuality one and human sexuality two. Both of those are uh, in the psychology department under uh, CAS. Come join. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Take it or audit it. Great. Well, Reach thanks. out. Yeah. I do. As I mentioned, I have an online course that I highly recommend people check out. There's also a free webinar that you can find on uh, my website that sort of uh, leads people into the course. You don't want to buy the course and delve into all of the <laughs> complexities of it. Watch that free webinar. And uh, even that is... I recommend gonna, both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I do private consulting for people who really want to do some more one-on-one -on -one, uh, work. And... Um, the classes, the the Open Smarter is it's like a virtual, right? It's it's yes. kind of pre-recorded lessons that people yes. can watch on their own. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. yes. Uh, and then right. then there will be a live version of it that I'm going to launch an upgraded, sort of updated 2.0 version of that course in uh, launching next early next year. So if people Great. want to. Okay, and when will your book be out? That might take a okay. little longer. Okay. I'm in the beginning <laughs> stages of okay. writing the book, and uh, you know we'll see how long it takes to write it. And then there's okay. usually about a year yeah. after it's written before it gets published. So okay, we'll keep us posted. We'll yeah. have you back yeah. so yes. you can Amazing. talk more about it. I'd love to. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Well, well, thank, thank you, you so, so much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> if you have questions about the podcast or anything we talked about today, please feel free to reach out to us at goodsex.podcast at nyu.edu. This email address is monitored during business hours and may take three to four days for follow-up. We are definitely open to critical and thoughtful feedback, as we didn't cover everything in this episode and might have said something that was inaccurate or that had a negative impact on someone. If you have questions about your sexual health and are an NYU student, you can connect with our Student Health Center sex expert at sexpert at nyu.edu or schedule an appointment through the Student Health Center portal. Look at our show notes for additional information and resources, including organizations, articles, books, and videos. If you have urgent mental health concerns, safety issues, or you are worried that someone might have caused harm to you, or that you might have caused harm to someone, then you can contact NYU's Confidential Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999. Chat with them using their mobile app or email them at wellness.exchange at nyu.edu. For anyone... NYU or non-NYU listeners, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233, or the National Mental Health Hotline. Simply dial 988 from anywhere in the U.S. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode where we continue to talk about good sex at NYU. Subscribe to the podcast to hear all of our quickies and interviews with NYU community members. Thanks to our content contributors for this episode, Bernadette Kerr, Alyssa LaFosse, Dr. Dominic Baini-Amisa, Zoe Raguzios, and to our health promotion team, Anna Genova, Jenny Mellum, Parade Stone, and Arna Dixit, and to Gotham Studios and Karen Ortman. 